Welcome to On the Continent, your one-stop podcast for all things European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On today's podcast, now we all know what Lionel Messi earns, does Barca have 555 million reasons to blame their troubles on him? Ooh la la, as the French love to say, je pense donc je suis. But what on earth are they thinking of now that none of their broadcasters want to shell out for this season's football rights? And how much will it cost us? And after beating their bitter Lisbon rivals, sporting fans are getting ready to sing Campiones, 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 Campiones. But do they need to keep the Porto on ice for now? So, David and uh, Andy, last week we were talking about Marseille's troubles. And <laughs> I don't know if you were looking in your crystal ball, Andy, but you will know that Marseille's troubles have reached another crescendo. Yeah, I, I didn't quite imagine 100 fans breaking into the training ground and chucking stuff at the players and the coach. Um, Andre Villas-Boas going, that is something that perhaps... Um, wouldn't have needed uh, a crystal ball or even really that much knowledge of French football. Uh, he's been on the brink for a, a little while and um, obviously made it a pretty tough first day in the job for Olivier and Cham uh, by saying uh, he, he never wanted him in the in, in, in the first place. And I'm sure Cham was, was was pretty glad to to see him go. And then, of course, they they went to Lens on on Wednesday night. Uh, under new management and um, turned a 2-0 half-time lead into a draw and they were lucky to hang on to that. So, look, you can't take your eye off them for a second. Is that the reason, though? Is the draw that should have been a victory, was that the reason that Vias Boas left or was it the whole sort of turmoil around the club? Uh, well, he he said it was because of the Incham signing that he... Um, didn't ask for he didn't sign off on and uh, in his words uh, I woke up the next morning and, and read about it in the newspaper um, but it's been building for a long time uh, the, the tension around them not getting uh, good results in the Champions League I think that wounded his, his, his pride quite irreparably really as, as, as we touched on last week and things have been boiling since then um it was clear that he wasn't going to stay uh beyond the end of his contract at the end of the season the players talked him into staying at the start of this season and the players didn't like him anymore so <laughs> i think that was really what <laughs> what what got us to this point and uh yeah he looks like a man in need of a sabbatical at the moment i really liked his uh his, his line as well where he said uh i really like marseille but i'm professional <laughs> so, where, where, where does his professionalism take him to now? And what about Marseille? They're liked, they're loved, but how can they come back from this position, David? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think, in regards to AVB, he's probably going to end up kayaking or something or, or, or popping up at the Olympics <laughs> in, in some strange event, you know. Um, yeah, knowing him but uh, you know he is a professional after all so there are other sports I think of um, but in terms of Marseille um, I still think they've got a nice squad there 
they, they've got, you know, they, I think they're in a good place. They, they, they aren't exactly in turmoil in terms of the squad, the personnel, what they have. Um, they, it was just this situation with AVB that, is, that has clearly been problematic. So I think they can continue to, to, to kick on. Um, and obviously the fan, Marseille fans are, are raucous bunch. Uh, I think they will always uh, be like uh, the way they are. They're a very passionate uh, fan base and, and, and that shouldn't be, they shouldn't take away any of that. But um, yeah, I think they're in a good position overall. I suppose the big news of this week on the continent has been the revelation of how much Lionel Messi earns on the four-year contract that he's seen out the end of this season in Spain. Did it come as a surprise to either of you uh, that he is by far earning more than any other footballer? David? Uh, No, uh, not at all. I think two reasons. Um, it's messy, so he's always, you know, other than Cristiano Ronaldo, he's always going to be paid the absolute uh, best salary. And uh, second, Barcelona, when it comes to bookkeeping and finances, finances are absolutely ridiculous. Um, so th- there was always going to be some some silly contract. Um, I suppose this was especially silly in terms of the number, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's not too much of a surprise, to be honest with you. If you have read and kept up with how things have been in Barcelona the, the past few years um, under the, the regime, what they've had there, then this is not too much of a surprise, I don't think. I, I don't think it is either. And I think the, the, the sheer size of it is, is shocking. I, I don't think it can be any other way. And particularly um, the fact that it's leaked out in um, pandemic times. Um, but the, the way that it was presented in El Mundo on, on the cover, of course, with a figure of 555 million euros over four years and um, as, as the contract that is ruining Barcelona, um, it's, it's clear that someone in the club um, or possibly a presidential candidate wants to send a message. And that message is that um, Messi can't be kept on. So to, to ready people for that. Now, of course, you've had um, one of the other um, candidates or more than one of the other candidates but um, for the presidency, but Victor Font, one of them, saying that um, Messi's worth every single euro that they've paid him. Um, personally, I don't agree with that whatsoever. But on the other hand, I do think, David, that he's symptomatic of a problem rather than the problem itself because – What's been the big thing, hasn't it, under Bartomeu is the fact that you've got so many other players and in the in the situation where they currently are, so many aging players who are still on long contracts and have been given exactly what they wanted. So if you go back yeah. to say, look at another uh, European super club. Let's look at, say, Bayern Munich, for example. Tony Kroos, great player who went on to become an even better player for, for Real Madrid. But he asked to be given salary parity with Muller, um, Neuer and the club and Pep Guardiola said to him, we, we can't do that. I'm sorry, we can't pay everyone that sort of money. So he left for, for Real Madrid and, you know, Bayern were criticised a little bit for that. But th- what's the alternative? You end up in Barcelona's situation where Busquets asks for 15 million a year and gets it. Jordi Alba, who, despite his very interesting role in the Copa del Rey win at Granada this week and what a fantastic game that was, Jordi Alba asks for an extended contract to 2024 
and gets it, despite the fact he's very much going down the Marcelo route and it, yep. that contract is going to look ugly by the end of it. And then you get players who are worth it, like Tostegen, who might be refused in a similar situation, but they're given what they want as well. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, uh, just using your example, Bayern are a very, very w- well-run club. Um, if they lose a particular player in a particular area of the of the pitch, then they are always assessing potential replacements and they usually do buy very well. I don't think Barcelona are capable of that. So they are somewhat backed into a corner when it comes to these deals. I think they are very sympathetic towards the people, the players who have been loyal to them. But at the same time, I don't think they have the the smarts to identify replacements um, for for good prices and you know in terms of ability, in terms of skill set as well, for in in terms of purely matters on the field. So I think that's why these things happen and um, these deals that 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 you see um, with Messi. The thing is, if say they had sold him, say they had got his contract off the books. I wouldn't trust those guys at Barcelona with the money that that would generate. Exactly. Where would they? You know that they they would mm. they were, you know they would piss that up the wall. That's what they that's what they have done consistently for a number of years, and that is why the club is in the position that they are right now. Um, the two things I don't think are mutually exclusive. You know, at the same time, Messi's contract can be over the top and too much, but at the same time, also you could say. Christ, they, they probably can't do any better in terms of spreading the cost out if they did get any if they did get the money from him. So it's an interesting position that they have painted themselves into. In the free market, though, you're only worth as much as somebody's prepared to pay for you. And what strikes me with this deal is arguably Messi is earning twenty times as much as you know some of his colleagues. Some of them might be on a better wedge than that, but still, if we take that figure, twenty times much more. Somebody at Barcelona, I mean, how did it get to that point, for example? As much as Messi wants, or his agent wants to achieve as much money as possible, how does it get to 20 times the level of any other player? That suggests to me that there is some investigation to be done uh, with whoever was responsible for that deal at Barcelona. Uh, I mean, uh, the uh, agent doesn't come in, does he, Andy, and sort of say, I want 20 times more than any <laughs> other player. He might start with, you know, let's have twice as much. And then somebody else goes and says, I'll tell you what, we'll give you 20 times as much. That's madness. Yeah, I, I don't think the proportions are really the issue here, Don, because I, I think if you look at the first Galactico period of, of Real Madrid, for example, um, the reason they could afford to pay Zidane, Beckham, Figo, etc., six million a year tax free, which is there's a lot of money in 2003. <laughs> just to <laughs> put that in, in, in perspective, was that the reason they were able to do that is because they had uh, Ruben and they had uh, Raúl Bravo and players like that in in their first team. Players who were getting paid 150 thousand a year, and of course the club always push the line of oh well it's really important to have these guys around who who come up from the academy because they give madrid its heart and its soul and they actually teach the galacticos uh, about what what real madrid means but but the fact is it's, it's simple financial balance and you know some of those players at the time were not good enough for real madrid and um they were there simply because it's it's a similar situation to the one that Paris Saint-Germain have at the moment. If you're paying Mbappe and Neymar 
And from what we know this week, they're going to be paying Neymar again for the next four years, even more than they are at the moment. Um, something has to give somewhere else in the squad. You do end up with a, a kind of squad imbalance. The difficulty with Barcelona is that they've... The, the the fact is that 20, 20 times that the what the next best player gets paid is an extraordinary amount because what the next best player gets paid is an extraordinary amount. So it's it's the fact that you're in hock not just to Messi, but to all those other players as well. And in some cases, some of those players are aging very badly. We talked about Jordi Alba. Um Busquets signed his contract in his, his last contract in autumn twenty eighteen. And he's really not looked like the same player that he was under Pep Guardiola and even since then under Luis Enrique for a lot of that time. I think uh, Rakitic was another one. Sorry, just to, just to finish on this point, Rakitic was another one. If you look at that deal, they were clearly paying him far too much money. They had mm. to essentially give him away at the end of the season just to try and get him off the books and create a little bit more leeway to, to bring That's what him happened with Suarez. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But... It- this, I mean, Barcelona denying that they had anything to do with the disclosure to the press. And clearly, Messi and his side don't disclose that to the press for whatever reason, because we know what the backlash has been like and they would have expected that. It's now apparently going to be a matter for the courts. And yet, when when Barcelona uh, played Bilbao, Atletico uh, Bilbao at the, um, was it just a couple of days ago, actually, wasn't it? Sunday. When they... Yeah, on Sunday, when they played Athletic Bilbao on Sunday, it didn't look like Messi had the world's problems on his shoulders. In fact, he seemed to be enjoying his game and scored a, a, a remarkable goal when <laughs> Bilbao tried everything in the book to try and stop him uh, with that free kick. So are we seeing the the real mood of Messi on the pitch or is he putting on a show despite what he might feel about uh, the exposure in the press of his of his earnings. Yeah, I think he's excellent at whatever's happening off the pitch um, to, to ignore it in a sense that, like, you know, the negativity. But at the same time, he seems to play with an added edge when there is turbulence off the field. He is, he is very, very much the Michael Jordan meme constantly. And I took that personally. And on the field, he carries out to such a, a, an unbelievable manner. I think when he feels wronged or when he feels there's a problem. So, but he still he might, his performance never uh, dissipates. I don't think when there when there is troubles off the field. Uh, interestingly, he uh, seems to be not just responding with prejudice, but a- almost sort of surgically cutting out all the criticisms that could be made of him. I think if you look in the Granada Cup game, he linked better with Antoine Griezmann than he has in a very, very long time. Because we've seen intermittently, when they click together, they really can click together. And it makes an enormous difference to to Griezmann. It would have made an enormous difference to his Barcelona career if they'd have worked perfectly the whole time along. And obviously, it's easier to do that with Luis Suarez out of the picture. Now, I still tend to think Barcelona are going to finish a long way off winning La Liga this season, partly because of the Suarez thing. So it all goes back to this culture of um, paying players extraordinary amounts at, at Barcelona because, as we were saying, they had to find a way to get shot of of Suarez. But um, and I still I still feel they're very much not the best team in in La Liga. But they they have played much, much better over the last month and a half, Barcelona. I, I just sense their defence will 
will let them down at the crucial moments. You know, the comparison with Michael Jordan, David, has really whetted my appetite for a, a last dance documentary on Lionel Messi sometime in the future. He's still got a bit of game between now and then. And the question must be now, wh- where does he go to? It's made... it. It's made his future even more uncertain because once you get a taste for I am worth 555 million euros, even if you're going to take a little bit of a pay cut, you know, where, where who can afford you at any price um, close to that? Where, where will he go? Um, I still think he will end up staying at Barcelona. Um, I, I think he's in the best place here. Um, for his career at this stage in his career, I think if he was going to make the big move to say the Premier League, then it's something he should have done a long, long time ago. I think he probably knows, despite his ability still being at an unbelievable level, of course, his his fitness and his physique perhaps isn't ready for that um, right now. So I think, and his family are settled in Barcelona. He's got a great life there. I think it would be a, a real hindrance to him and uh, his, his final years to, to go to the Premier League. So I think somehow, somewhere, they agree and Messi stays there for the rest of his career um, and, and, and sees it out. Um, I just don't think anybody can, can bring him in. I think PSG um, is one of the names constantly linked, but like we say, Neymar's got a new deal. They seem to be planning elsewhere I think so they can't leverage the cash situation uh, to stretch to Messi I think Man City are going a different direction right now as well with their younger players they'll they'll be eyeing they'll they'll look at the end of the day and say okay maybe a move for somebody like Haaland is is more sensible at this stage they've probably got Aguero to replace um, so options are running out for Messi and I think he will stay and um, I think if that last dance documentary does get made Ronaldinho and his years at Barcelona, he's definitely going to be the Dennis Rodman character. <laughs> so, ooh la la, here we go again. The ongoing saga of the uh, French football's lack of a televised sponsor. Uh, this is must be, is it round... Um, Catra uh, Vang? I don't know. Andy? Uh, yeah, that's it. Um, and uh, it's, it's a tricky situation at the moment because, um, as, as you say, 80% of the, the rights were owned by Media Pro um, in what was a colossal deal. In fact, the sort of colossal deal that a cynic would have said in the first place and Canal Plus are very much enjoying their I told you so um, role at the moment uh, would have said it's too, it's too good to be true because um, it was going to pay the league 1.2 billion euros a, a, a year. And then obviously pretty quickly it fell apart when um, Media Pro said we, we can't pay it um, because of the pandemic. Well, uh, th- th- this is, this is what uh, as, as, caused a huge shadow over French football in, in the last little while because um, now not only has someone got to come in and uh, take up the, the the slack, pick up this this 80% of the, the rights, but Canal Plus, who were assumed as the most likely to come in and pick it up because they're the traditional broadcaster of Ligue 1, very much the, the, the equivalent of uh, Sky in England or, or Germany, for example. Um, they have made clear, A, 
they want value for money, and B, they want to make the league pay a little bit, I think, for um, cutting them off in the original negotiation in which Media Pro got the 80%, I think. So the difficulty at the moment is the, the league want to just, as soon as possible, obviously, um, get the 80% resold. They know they won't sell it for the for the same value and all of the clubs collectively are going to take a bit of a beating because it's going to be an, an incredible cut in revenue from what they were expecting. Um, but Canal Plus have not been playing ball the whole way. Um, part of that was when the 80% was put up and there, there was a tender um, in, in the last week for offers and um, both Canal Plus and Be In Sport um, who are the um, Qatari chain are also the owners of Paris Saint-Germain um, who Canal Plus subcontract some of their share of the rights um, to that they boycotted the, the call for offers because they said well hang on if you're putting um, the 80% out there at a lower price that means we've paid too much for our 20% so we want to give them back and the league said well you can't give them back and they said okay well, we're boycotting the call for offers then. Um, none of the offers from uh, Amazon, DAZN, uh, the, the new kids on the block, even got to the reserve price. So that le- leaves the league in a, a dreadful spot all over again because um, they've since gone to Canal Plus and said, well, look, we can just have a private negotiation between us and, and you can tell us what you, you want to pay. They've said no to that as well um so basically it's going to go to court then it's going to go out to tender again and in the meantime i think you look at some clubs particularly in the bottom half in france are going to be running out of money pretty quickly um i mean there was a lot of focus on this particularly because not only because time is short not only because media pros vehicle telefoot whose journalists all know they're going to be out of work pretty soon or looking for work elsewhere, um, they're, they're still broadcasting, despite the fact that everything's paid up, um, that they paid their 100 million compensation fee to end the contract and the contract's over. They're still, because no one's taken up the other 80% of the rights, they're still broadcasting. And so there was a big question. Le Classique is on this Sunday between Marseille and Paris Saint-Germain, the biggest game in the French football calendar. And there's a big question over who's going to show it. Well, it turns out Telefoot are going to show it because they are still broadcasting jointly with, you guessed it, Canal Plus. David, look, it sounds like a real dog's croissant, this. How (laughs) hard can it be for a football league like the French League to not get an answer to their plea, voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir? I think they fall into the category that several of the leagues uh, are in right now. I think it's very hard to draw up interest in the product um, when in some ways it's it's one-sided or it's lost value. Uh, you look in Spain as well, they've had issues attracting as well. And, and since Cristiano Ronaldo went, Messi's obviously going to go um, at some point when he retires, um, or even before then, um, and and I think you look at Ligue 1 and 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 how they value their league, their league. Um, Neymar's new contract is going to help them a great deal. I think the fact that he stays around as long as Mbappe does, I think you know football is losing value in that sense. Um, I think there's a lot of football being played. Um, I think the quality is perhaps diminished um, as well. So I don't think the desire um, to pay these 
absurd fees is going to be there. Um, and this is just a, I don't know, a drop in the ocean, I think, for what's to come in the future with uh, other leagues. Um, I know the league is up in a few years' time as well, in a few years' time as well, and they're going to have to sort out their national rights. And it'll be interesting to see what the clamour will be for it. Um, but I think this is going to be a problem all around Europe. I think it's a really interesting point you make, David, about um, Neymar staying being a big deal, and uh, Mbappe as well uh, could be part of that because you know we think about the fact that we would like a, a balanced product, you know, for, for want of a better word, a genuine sporting competition. But I think there are a lot of people out there who, who don't feel that way, who don't feel the way that we yeah. do about that. They want to see dynasties and they want to see dynasties, not just from teams, but from individual stars, I think. And you look at the way that the rise of Paris Saint-Germain has been perceived in France, um, particularly in the sporting press since the arrival of the Qataris. The arrival of Zlatan was a, a huge thing. There was no sense, really, of, you know, one team is bullying everyone else and ruining the league. And, of course, we have to look back and say um, Monaco won the, won the league in 2017 and um, uh, Montpellier won it in 2012. So, you know, in that sense, even though Ligue 1 is something because of Paris Saint-Germain that people externally see as more one-sided than Serie A or the Bundesliga. Statistically, in terms of champions, it's it's not. It's simply not. Because, you you know, you've got another title race this year as well, which is something that's been sadly lacking in those other countries. But Zlatan, starting with Zlatan, it was always seen as having a superstar that a French club couldn't have afforded before in the country was a huge boon to the, the, the way that um, Ligue 1 was seen internationally. And I think Neymar staying, as you say, is absolutely vital to that. Um, with that said, I think you have to worry about the quality and the integrity of the competition going forward, simply because if it's left much longer and clubs, especially in the bottom third of Ligue 1, really start feeling it, it's, it's going to end up really really unbalanced although really the question is what is going to happen to teams like uh Lyon Marseille Rennes financially in 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 the short to medium term if 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 they're starting these tv funds well the other question is how will all of this impact on the national team who've won the world cup twice now remember we've got european championships coming up as well as world cup at some point or other it's bound to affect it one way or another, I would have thought, David. And also, what about us? If if the French TV deals are going a certain way, whether to some of these um, technology companies, uh, new technology companies, well, not new anymore, the likes of Amazon, then does that, does that have a knock-on effect in our watching of the Premier League over here? I think potentially, I think in regards to the French national team, I think this would actually boost them. Um, I think more if clubs have look if clubs have less money, if clubs have less you know they don't have the finances to play with, they're going to rely on what's in their youth academies. Usually, if you look across history, the money isn't taken out of the youth academies when clubs loan money. They will invest more into it because they will see that's where they're going to get players from. Um, so I think it could boost them in that sense. Um, and then the big clubs will come in, pay a lot of money for those talents who have been pushed into the first team. So that's where, you know, they could be just more reliant on sales, which is never a good thing for the clubs it's, itself. But who knows? It could give the spotlight to more younger players. 
um, who come into the French national team. And if you look at the number of young players that have gone into it over the recent years, I mean, France could field maybe three teams of 11 deep um, of the talent that they have in every position. It's it's, it's quite astounding. Um, but I think in terms of uh, the knock-on effect, then I, I think we've seen with the Premier League experiment, uh, I think it was over the Christmas period, wasn't it? And, and then after uh, games being on Amazon and such like that, I think it's, it's just going to be the, the way forward, I think, in terms of uh, the things are done. I think people really enjoy that experience of watching games as well. Obrigado so far, gentlemen, and that will give you a clue as to where we're going next, to Portugal, where it looks like Sporting, who are top of the league, well, they might be counting their chickens before they've hatched, Andy. Um, Let's face it, Porto have got them in their sights. They do, uh, but um, Sporting of... I think you've got to underline how far they've outstripped expectation so far this season. I mean, here we are in in, in February, and I realise it's an unusual season. They are still unbeaten. And they're four points in in, in front of Porto, who are the the title incumbents. But I think the key thing is, after winning the Lisbon derby on Monday night against Benfica in quite dramatic uh, fashion with uh, Matej Nunes scoring right at the end. Um, they're nine points in front of Benfica. Now, Benfica were always going to be the title favourites this season because um, they went out and spent an absolute fortune in the in the summer. Uh, they went big on bringing Jorge Jesus back uh, to be their coach for a second spell from Flamengo where he won the Copa Libertadores, of course. And then they gave... Jesus a lot to to pad out his squad and they spent 80 million euros on transfer fees alone this summer and that's before you get to contracts for the likes of Jan Vertonghen and Nicolas Otamendi and paying players who've come out of the Premier League is not cheap by any stretch of of, of the imagination so it was always going to be that if Benfica didn't win the league it's a massive failure. Now we'll come to Benfica in a bit because I think we should concentrate on sporting and what they've done right. Now, if you look to what Benfica tried to do, it wasn't just about the players. As I said, it was about bringing back Jorge Jesus. I think about um, a certain type of leadership, a certain type of, of football and a bit of a flex as well to say that we can bring back a guy who's who's conquered the world on behalf of Portugal, which is a, a huge thing. If you look at all the headlines in the papers in Portugal this week about uh, Abel winning the Copa Libertadores with um, uh, Palmeiras, you know, the Portuguese people are immensely proud of their own going abroad and, and, and making a huge dent, which is why, you know, Jose Mourinho and Cristiano Ronaldo still lead the way for for, for most Portuguese football fans. Um, but it's it's all about the coach with sporting because right up until the point where they broke their transfer record this week by bringing in uh, Paulinho, centre forward from Braga, and we'll come to him in a bit. I, I think he's a, a player who could push him over the top. Um, their coach, Ruben Amorim, who they brought in a, a year ago, cost more than any player they've ever bought. Um, just get your head around that, really. You know, that they paid a release fee for a coach, which was an absolute fortune. 
which was 12 million, which initially they couldn't pay. And uh, they had to restructure a, a, a payment plan, much to the, the, the annoyance of Braga. But all that strife has, has been worth it because Amorim's a winner. Interestingly, he played under Jorge Jesus and he said he took a lot from him as well as other coaches. But Amorim, very much like uh, Nuno, who's done so well at um, Wolves and of course got Valencia into the Champions League before, another Portuguese coach. Um, we can talk about the production of, 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 of different coaches from Portugal and how educated they are. But I think the interesting thing with Amorim, like Nuno, is he was a pro player of a high standard that didn't really play that much football, that spent a lot of time with injuries and as a squad player, uh, like sort of in it, but not in it. So he was almost making the morph into being a coach before he was one. And I, I think he's had plenty of time to think about his ideas, about the philosophies of various coaches he's, he's worked under and what he's done with thus far a very limited budget until we get to the Paulinho signing has been absolutely extraordinary. They deserve to lead the league. They may do, but David, if you were sporting, given the length of time it's been for, uh, since they last uh, won the league, wouldn't you be looking over your shoulder, despite all the signings and the you know the the results boding well? But they're only four points clear of Porter. Yeah, absolutely. They've they've put a lot of effort into getting into the position that they are. Um, but like you say, Porto's record it's, it, itself is is really really good. Last twenty one games, eighteen wins, two draws, one loss. Um, you know that, that's pretty ridiculous when you look at uh, what Porto have done. Um, so. I think we're going to move on to Paulinho. So I think this is the key thing. I think that signing is potentially the one to tip them over the edge. I know Ruben Amarim wanted Paulinho in earlier, um, but the club didn't do that. And then now they finally backed him. Um, again, another signing, I think, if you look at his age as well, that you know, it potentially goes against the grain of what Portuguese clubs are, are, are known by for you know, you know, bringing in young talents um, and developing them, moving them on. Whereas Paulinho feels very much a, a win now signing to get us over the to get them over the over the line basically. I think that's it, David, isn't it? They realise that this is their maybe one chance because it's such an unusual season and because mm. of um, everything that's that, that's happened. But you know, you talked about Porto's record um, in, in the last twenty odd games, which is is fantastic. But I think the fact that Sporting is still four points in front of them then is. It's something that's quite remarkable. Um, I mean, Sergio Conceição has done an unbelievable job at Porto with um, budgets that are getting slashed all the time uh, to win the title twice in three years and to be on with the chance of a third, third and four is is really amazing. Um, but the development of those players at Sporting, a, a club that was in financial ruin, really going back year, year and a bit. Obviously, he's already won a trophy in the Tasta Liga, which uh, that, that, that won the week before, as we, we previously mentioned on the pod, is is really interesting. And um, they, they, then you look at, they've always got young players coming through the academy, which they'll be able to sell down the line. Nuno Mendes, uh, the left wing back, is absolutely T- terrific. Um, there's there's a lot to be said for him. Um, th- then you look at um, uh, Gonçalves, um, uh, Pedro Gonçalves in in uh, Orpote in in the um, midfield, who they brought in from uh, from Malikau and has scored a ton of goals this season. He's, he's he's been absolutely magnificent from midfield. 
You've even got a bit of Manchester City interest with the wing back on the other side, Pedro Porro, who I know you've seen a lot of in Spain, David. Yeah. And he yeah. has been fantastic, scored the goal that won them the, the Tasa de Liga. And I, I do sense that he won't ever end up back at Manchester City, that they'll simply use this to flog him on somewhere else. But, you know, he's, he's, he's making quite the brochure at the moment. Yeah, I think he's a really, really good player. He he really rose to prominence quite quickly in uh, that Girona side. Um, and yeah, I completely agree. It just doesn't look like he's got a future at City at all. And he'll, he'll end up like Angelino and, and probably end up in the Bundesliga somewhere. Um, he'll do well there for a couple of years and then probably end up in the Premier League, but not at Man City. <laughs> How significant at the end of the season will this victory over their rivals Benfica uh, a few days ago be? It, was a, it wasn't... As convincing as perhaps you know you, you might think, but having said that, there's a background to this as well, which is you know Jorge Jesus, the Benfica manager, being brought in, etc. Andy, that um, you know Benfica have got a lot of history and they needed to win that game, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Uh, like I said, if, if if they don't win the league this season, especially with bringing back Jesus, especially with the money they've spent, it's an absolutely massive failure for them. Um, you know, they've got so many options as well. Of course, they've been affected by coronavirus recently, but so have, so have a few teams in, in, in Portugal. And, you know, this is not, if, if they don't win the championship, it's not going to be because they lost this game at sporting. I, I wouldn't say that at all. Um, but that, that they were in a position where they had to go and dig out a result in this game, I, I think is... You know, it, it it says what a difficult season it's, it's it's been so far. And you know, when we talk about the four point gap at the top, four points is quite a lot in Portugal because the big clubs don't really drop that many points. Nine points is an absolute chasm, and it would take something really quite spectacular for um, Benfica to go and dig it out from here. And you know, they've they paid a lot of money to bring in Jorge Jesus. Um, they're, they're paying him a lot of money in salary. They paid a lot of money in terms of transfer fees and players' wages to make sure he had what he wanted. And I kind of feel a, a little bit sorry for him because if you go right back to the start, the first competitive game is uh, at Pauk in the, the, the Champions League. Um, now, because of the pandemic, the Champions League qualification ties were one-legged. So basically, they, they played okay, they slipped up against the run of play and went out of the Champions League. So already one of his stated aims to do well in the Champions League is just gone before the season has even started and that's put an enormous amount of pressure on him. So that's really tough. Um, I mean, on on the other hand, I think when you get to later in the season and I think one of the most disappointing bits of any European football for for for, for me this season was um, Jorge Jesus's, let's just say, racist comments, really, where he, he came out and um, said that uh, too much was being made of um, alleged racist incidents and, um, you know, it's very much the fashion of the day. And he sounded every bit a, a, a late 60s man talking nonsense. That, that was so disappointing for... for a coach who's given so much joy with his football, who's been such an incredible character to come out and say something like that. I mean, I feel disappointed as, as someone who has been an admirer of him. And 
I can't imagine what a, a black player who's played under him and has trusted his career to him must feel. Um, but really, I, I think above and beyond all of that, all the credit goes to Amorim and, and Sporting because bear in mind, you said it's been a long time for Sporting at Dotton. I mean, they've, they've not won the league since Cristiano Ronaldo was there in 2002, back in the days when him and Ricardo Quaresma used to make ball tricks up in training. So it would be something absolutely colossal at the most unexpected time. And you've got to look not just at the tactical chops of Amorim, but but the guts. We talked about Benfica having to go into that game and, and, and try and dig something out. Well, Sporting really dug it out because as you say, it, it was a game with very little in it. And then you go back to the, the start of January when they had that game um, at Nacional in Madeira, where um, because of the wind and the rain, the game was called off on the Thursday. They had to wait there till the Friday to to play it. And in absolutely horrendous conditions, they dug out a win there. So they can play good football. They can play winning football. I'm really interested to see where Amorim can go next and where he can take them next. Well, as Cristiano Ronaldo would say in an Eric B and Raheem style, I shouldn't have left you. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a strong rhyme to dance to. So it comes to that time, gentlemen, when we ask you to recommend a game of the week. An exciting point. Just one game, please, from each of you, of all the games that we could possibly see on our screens um, from Europe. Uh, David, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, my pick uh, for game of the week this week is Real Betis versus Barcelona. It's on Sunday, 8 p.m. Um, I think we're seeing two sides that have potentially turned a corner, putting together a run of form, looking, both looking a bit more in a rhythm, more like a unit. I think they, earlier in the season, they looked very, you know, there was no really association between the players. The, the style was very unclear. I think since the new year, they're both kicking on. Um, and I think it makes for a really, really intriguing game. Not least if Barcelona get a free kick just outside the penalty area, Given the way that Messi took that free kick against Bilbao, how will Betis set up their defence against the free kick? Because it will be one of the highlights, I imagine, of the match. If they get a free kick in that area, it looks like it's going to go top corner left or right somewhere, no matter what they do. Yeah, exactly. Um, the the newfangled trick of lying down on the floor behind the wall simply isn't going to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I heard uh, the commentator Steve Wilson memorably refer to as the draft excluder position last week. <laughs> 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 that's very you good, must, Steve. <laughs> but you do look like a mug if you're the bloke lying down. <laughs> <laughs> and the ball goes over the wall and into the top right-hand corner. And they had a man on the line as well. So that will be a fascinating match to watch. Andy, you've got one for us as well. Well, you know what? There are so many to pick from this weekend. There's some really great ones. Um, I'm looking forward to the derby between uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach and FC Köln on, on Saturday night. But the one, I think, has to be Juventus versus Roma. Five o'clock on um, Saturday and uh, you can watch it for, for free from live score as well. It's, it's going to be terrific because Juventus are starting to starting to get their swagger back a little bit. I'm, I'm still not sure if it's enough for them to, to, to go and win the league. 
And I think they were a little bit fortunate in their uh, Coppa Italia semi-first leg win uh, into this week in that Inter didn't play their best and it still took them gifting Juventus a couple of goals for, for, for Juventus to take the win from that, even though they're great finishes by Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, Roma drew 2-2 with Juventus and, and should have beaten them in the second game of the season at the Olimpico. And Roma are, are still up there. They're in, they're in third place. But they haven't beaten, as, as, as Nicky pointed out to us a few weeks back, th- the reason you can't totally believe in Roma is because that, they haven't beaten any of the top sides so far. So they've got that draw with Inter, they've got that draw with Juve. But they've been absolutely welted by Atalanta. They got hammered by Lazio in the derby the other week, as, as, as we said. There's been this huge row between Paolo Fonseca, the coach, and Edin Dzeko, the captain, which almost precipitated... Jeco's departure and they very would have very possibly would have done a swap with Inter for Alexis Sanchez and what huge transfer that would have been was it not for there there being a tax situation with Alexis Sanchez being the the, the beneficiary of a tax break which Jeco no longer is because he's been in the country for such a while so the the wages didn't match so basically Fonseca and Jeco are going to find a way to patch it up in the meantime Roma have actually played pretty well. Uh, Borja Mayoral, who's on loan from Real Madrid, and another young player who Zinedine Zidane isn't really getting the best out of, has, has looked really good since he's he stood stood in for Dzeko. So I feel it's it's quite a big test for Juventus, but it's a really big test for Roma as well because if they're going to finish in that top four, at which point, interestingly. Fonseca's contract would be automatically extended by year if they did make the top four. Um, it'd be interesting to see if they they are for real and they can finish in the Champions League places. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. 